We find yourself here in the middle of the Homeward Bound series. This is week three in this whole series. Homeward Bound has been built around learning to live with a view of eternity. And what I mean by that is the fact that uh, when we are in Jesus, uh, Scripture would say that we're citizens of heaven. And so we live in this uh, familiar land that yet would also uh, be a land that we're foreigners in because our citizenship is in heaven. We've been building this series out of Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 that says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So as a follower of Jesus, if you said, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior and I trust in you, then our citizenship is ultimately in heaven. We are foreigners in this familiar land. And uh, the Apostle Paul is the one who wrote Philippians. Uh, and he also wrote some other letters that, that, that conveyed the same truth. One of those is 2 Corinthians 5. That's where we're going to be here this morning. If you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, if you want to go digital, you can turn on your Bibles. Uh, but we love to get the Word of God uh, in front of people. If you need a Bible, take one of the ones in the seats. Uh, make it your own for today and take it home and make it your own for as long as you need it. Um, and you can mark that up, underline, highlight, uh, make notes as, as to what God is teaching you through His Word. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, throughout the morning here. And, and see, this is Paul's second recorded letter to the Corinthians, but he's actually got um, a, a wide, long, extensive history with the church in Corinth. And this is uh, believed to be the last of about four letters that he's written to them. This is only the second one that we have recorded in Scriptures, hence 2 Corinthians. And the believers in Corinth have had a rocky history. And they're at a point when Paul is writing this letter where they're questioning some of the things that he has taught him. Uh, even, some are, are questioning his leadership and his authority uh, to, to direct them and guide them in the ways they should go. And so he addresses some of that. Uh, they have uh, false teachers who are coming in trying to steer them away from Jesus. And so that's some of the stuff that they're struggling with. And so Paul wants to remind them of who they are in Christ. And he wants to remind them, what does it look like to live in this world as followers of Jesus? And he gets to a point here in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1, where he's reminding them of what it means to be in Jesus. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So what he's saying is, even if your home here on earth is destroyed, figuratively or, or literally, that there is a home, a place you can call home, created by God, given to you from God in the heavens. And so when we look at the scope of eternity, if we put our life on a timeline and see how small and short the time here on this earth is compared to eternity, we can see that we have a home, a citizenship with God in heaven. And Paul's building on that here in 2 Corinthians 5. Hopefully you can find comfort in this. That despite whatever happens in this life, no matter how difficult or challenging this life may be, when we trust in Jesus, there truly is better to come. There, there is uh, something that we can hope for. We can be sure of our eternity with God. See, when Paul wrote this, uh, at that point in time, there are two common ways to look at death. And I would argue that these are still pretty common today. There are some who would look at death, I think for the most part we can all agree that it's a time of mourning, a time of sorrow, simply because we lose the physical presence of a loved one, right? You know, they're no longer at the dinner table with us. We can't go over to their house and, and talk with them. So there's a sadness and a sorrow that's tied around that. But then when we think about them and what has happened with them, there's two different responses that they had back then when Paul wrote this that we still have today. 
One is one of celebration. Even in the midst of our sorrow and fear, we, we acknowledge the fact that we believe they're in a better place. If they had a life full of suffering, we would celebrate the fact that they're free from that. Maybe there were some terminal uh, sicknesses that they were struggling through and, and pain that they experienced on a regular basis. We think, hey, no longer are they in pain. And we celebrate that. That's one way they view death in Paul's day as well. The other way they would view death is, is with fear. Unsure of the ultimate end. Or maybe sure of an end, a period. No more continuing. Some people would believe that, okay, after you die, there's just nothing, so we have to make the most of this world. And those are kind of two common themes, two common perspectives on death. But see, when we trust in Jesus, we don't need to wonder. We don't need to guess. Well, I think it's this, or I think it's that. We see in his, throughout his word that trusting in Jesus, there is an eternity for us. And it is far greater and far better than even the best this world has to offer. We see in John 3, 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Depending on how you grew up, if you grew up in a church background, and depending if that was a positive or a negative experience for you, just hearing that verse might give you some insight into who God really is. Maybe you've grown up feeling guilty. You have to do all these different things, and if you don't do these things, you're not acceptable to God, and you've carried that weight and that guilt. But look at the heart of God in verse 17. He didn't send Jesus to condemn the world, but to save the world. So we see that our God is a God who loves and desires to see his children, to see his creation saved, and he offers a way in Jesus. Well, despite the similarity in uh, our response to death, this world is very different today than it was when uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Uh, Modern-day life is vastly different today than even just a decade ago. We talked about some of this last week, how um, certain ideas, inventions, and individuals have brought about great change. If you think about it, smartphones have only been around for about a decade. Imagine, just go a week, put your phone down, and just go a week without it. Imagine how different that would be. I mean, it's only in the recent 10 years, things have just changed immensely. We talked about some of that last week, but I really want to personalize it. What I really want to sit on this morning is this question right here. How are you different today than from before? How are you fundamentally different today than in the past? You can put whatever you want, whether past week, past month, past year, past life. Not in the sense of a whole other life, but like, Sometimes we, we live a certain way. We say, oh, that we, it feels like a whole other life ago because we've changed so dramatically. And, and for the dads out there, because I might have to turn and talk to each other, I just want to take away all the dad responses. So don't tell someone, well, oh, I'm taller or I'm older or I have less hair on top and more hair everywhere else. Those are the dad answers. Those are, are, are we've already answered those. Yes, those are true. Uh, that is one way you've changed. Um, but turn real quick to your neighbor and, and ask them this question. How are you fundamentally different today than from your past? Go ahead. Got a quick minute. (laughs) 
you haven't already, go ahead and switch real quick. Let the other person talk. All right, bring it back. For some of you out there, you probably hate when I do this because you're not a talker. You just want to sit and listen. And for others of you, you hate when I do this because you are talkers and you're still talking because you just you don't want to stop. And I get that. There's a few of us out there that just that really hits that sweet spot of I get a quick answer in and, and whatnot. But even just the, the conversation shows, I know I didn't give you much time, but I think it's, it, we can begin to un- unpack all these different ways that we've changed, right? Just think about your answers and the answers you heard. Were they for the positive or the negative? Were they for better or for worse? Now, I think if we sit in this question for just a minute, how am I fundamentally different today than I am in my past? That there might be a little bit of both. And maybe the things that come to mind of here's how I'm worse, maybe it's not so much that you've uh, gotten worse in those areas of life as much as there's still issues that you want to resolve. There are things that you still carry, habits that you still have that you feel like, man, 10 years ago I thought I was going to be done with this. I'm, I'm still messing around. But I think there's other ways we can see, hey, here, here's how I'm, I'm a better person today because of, of this or that, whatever uh, things have been used in your life to bring about change. Well, if you're here this morning and you say, hey, I'm someone who needs work. I'm someone who, yes, I, I can see how I've changed, but I still have a need for change. You are in present company, my friend. Uh, Meadowland Church is a place where there are no perfect people here. We are all broken. We are all in need of a Savior. And that's what we gather together around, that the person of Jesus, who was fully man and fully God and laid down his life on the cross so that we trust in him for the forgiveness of our sin. We can be, our, our slate is wiped clean and we are made righteous. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But there are many transformative aspects in each of our lives. As you think about your answers or, or your neighbor's answers, you can think of, well, there are probably people or events or, or belief systems that brought about those changes, right? It wasn't just something you woke up one day and you're like, yeah, I'm going to be a marathoner. There was something that brought about that change. If you're familiar with the uh, American Ninja kind of uh, uh, TV series, uh, it's basically these insane um, competitions. It's like, imagine the worst obstacle course you've ever been through in your life, and that's child's play compared to what these men and women do. It's amazing that the strength that they have, and there's this one gentleman who uh, was a walk-on, which means that he had no easy route to get on the show. Uh, He basically had to stand in line as a walk-on and try out. He stood in line for eight days just to get a shot to, to go and, and, and run the course. And here's his story. So he was just an average guy, and all of a sudden, I, I didn't catch the very beginning of what his wife had, but his wife got something where she was sick, terminal. She was going to die. Not the next day, not the next year, but it was coming soon. And, and she lost uh, the use of her legs, and they lived uh, on a top floor kind of a, a apartment. And so there's one flight of stairs that they would have to go up every day. They wanted to go in or out of their apartment. And, and so... The first time that he brought her home and, and he got that squatted down and picked her up out of her wheelchair and you know, carried her up the stairs, he could barely do it. He said, I was too weak. And that was enough drive to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to change my life. And he started working out and got to the point where he could carry his wife up the stairs. And, and this became such a part of his life and such a change in his life uh, that, that he continued in that. And then uh, his wife said, hey, you should go and do the, the American uh, Ninja Warrior. And so he stood in line for eight days on his wife's request to go and just continue to bring about this change in his life. And so uh, I just kind of stumbled across this story. I was channel surfing. I saw it. I started watching it. And so I'm watching this guy go. 
It's about like ten, eight, ten different obstacles. They have to go through each one crazier and harder than the next. And he gets through some of the easier ones that people still slip up, slip up on. But he gets through them and he gets to the next one. And then he's at one of the really hard ones that not many people, like some of the veterans aren't even making it through. And he makes it through. And like this emotion's welling up inside. You're cheering for him like this is awesome. And then he gets to the warped wall, which is this, this wall that's probably about, I don't know, two, three times the height of a normal person. It's curved out and they got to run up it, grab, do, pull up. It's, it's crazy. Most, yeah, that's one of the, 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 you get three tries. If you can't do it, you're out. And that's always one of the ones, one of the eliminators that, that gets people out. First try, he does. He pulls up. He's ecstatic. He, he gets to the end and he finishes. And I'm sitting there, and I'm sitting there by myself, and, and there's tears welling up my eyes as I, I think about this guy's story. And on one hand, I'm looking around, making sure no one's seeing me cry. I'm like, this is just awesome. He did this for his wife, and I was doing this. And the announcers on the show, these two big, burly athletes, and they're like, I'm just crying, bro. This is amazing. Everyone's just losing it. His love for his wife brought about life change. And so there are things in our life that change our lives. For me, marriage and family. Two of the most refining things in my life. Things that God has used to bring about change in my own life. I was a, like I said, I was at a wedding this weekend. I, after I officiate a wedding, I always tell the couple this. Something will go wrong, but at the end of the day, you will have the chance to say, I do. And so you'll go to this day as, as fiancés, and you can, you'll have the opportunity to walk out as husband and wife. No matter what happens, that will be on the table. That will be an option. Even if, you know, the, the place you're meeting and floods and we can't do this, we'll, we'll figure something out and you'll be able to have that change to where you're married. And when you do that, you commit to put the other before yourself where we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here's, here's one way that I've grown in my marriage. There was a time where if you said, hey, Steve, do you want to go and do this? Do it with the family or you know, something like that. I would say, sure. But let me go check with Sarah first. If you don't know what's wrong with that, let me, let me give you a freebie. Here's what's wrong with that. So say I go talk to Sarah, and she says, well, you, you can't do that because we have this going on. So I go back to my friend, I say, Sarah says no. Oh, so Sarah doesn't want to do it. It makes her look bad, like, like the villain. Like she's saying, well, it has nothing to do with that. And I'm putting her on a spot, and that's not fair to my wife. And I, I, I learned that lesson. And so now when someone says, hey, do you, you want to go do this? Whether it's just myself or, or it's our family, I say, let me go connect with Sarah. I'll let you know. I don't say yes. I don't say no. I don't even try to say, I say, well, let me go chat with Sarah because that's my wife. And, and so I'm, I'm growing. I'm being refined as I go through marriage. There, there are more stories, but that's, that's a whole nother. We'll save those for later. Um, family, parenting. That there is no mirror more harsh than the mirror of parenting. Seriously. There's no mirror more harsh because your children reflect back to your own actions and words and attitudes. Um, growing up, it was just me and my sister, and there's a story where um, we were in the, in the car, well, we weren't driving, mom was driving, we were still pretty young, and um, all of a sudden, uh, the light turns green, but the car in front of us doesn't start moving, and, and my, my sister from the back seat screams, green means go, and then an expletive. And uh, my mom has this moment where she has to realize, gee, I wonder where she learned that. Well, she heard her say it. And so here's this little voice saying that, and all of a sudden it, it sounds so much harsher and so much sharper. And uh, there's an 80s commercial I absolutely loved because it was just it was so cheesy, but there was this dad who had, uh, was sitting in his son's room, and he's got the cigar box full of tobacco and cigarettes, and he's, he's uh, grilling his son, where'd you get these, where'd you get these? He finally, before his son even has a chance to answer, who taught you how to do this? 
from you, Dad. I learned it from watching you. And it's this big emotional moment, and then you know, the music changes, and then here's your brain on drugs, 80s commercials. Um, <laughs> but family refines us. They change us, whether it help us to see the ways we need to grow or, or they're the, the, the tools that God uses that, that are just used in our lives to bring about changes. These, these are things that change us. But whether you're married or not, whether you have kids or not, those are just the things that have been used in my life. We all have things in our lives that have been used to bring about change. And that for me, the single greatest, most significant agent of change in my life has been Jesus has been a relationship with him, walking with him, pursuing him, and knowing who he is and what his call is on my life. Last week, I made the statement that Jesus changed everything. And so this week, I want to talk about if Jesus changes everything, how has he changed you? How has he changed you? We're going to sit on this point of change because I think it's one that, is, as I look at um, just the Christian life, it's one that we fight against so much, but it's one that we're called to. We're called to be different than from where, who we were before we knew Jesus. We're, we're called to be different because there was sin in the world. There was sin in our life that God has forgiven. And we're called to be different. And so change should happen in the life of those who follow Jesus. I want you to think on this question, this question of if Jesus changes everything, how has he changed me? Think on that as we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we're kind of jump ahead to the end. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you've been here at a Meadowland uh, service before and, and heard some of these sermons, uh, anytime, you may have heard before, anytime there's a therefore, uh, we have to stop and ask, what is it there for? We, we can't, you might be tempting, but we can't just skip it and start with, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. All right, let's talk about that. See, the Bible is not just a collection of these wise sayings, but it's, it's written in letters and poems and, all, and history, all, all these different types of literature. It's written in context. That means that there's a story going on. And so if someone were to say, therefore this, you'd say, okay, well, that's based off of what they just said. So whenever you see that word therefore, go and look before to understand what's going on and, and, and figure out what the context is. So if we were to read before, just a few verses, we see a couple things. We see one, Paul is talking about how Jesus died for all, and he pays the price for our sin. He's talking about what happened at the cross, the forgiveness that comes in Jesus. He also starts talking about how we are no longer uh, to live for ourselves, but out of love for Jesus, to live for him. And so we could almost sum that up to say, because of the work of Jesus on the cross and our response to that, because of the work and the sacrifice of Jesus and, and, and our love for him, because of that, therefore, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Well, Paul continues in verse 18. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so we ask this question, what does it look like to live as a new creation? It, Stephen, if you're calling us to be different, if you're calling us to have change in our life because of, of, of Jesus working in our life, what does that look like? How should I change? 
Maybe you've thought this before. When I become a follower of Jesus, am I supposed to get ultra-spiritual? Or maybe you, you are a follower of Christ. You thought, hey, when I became, was I supposed to get ultra-spiritual? What does that even mean? Am I supposed to like lose my mind and go nuts for Jesus, dancing wildly through the streets and just throw myself about? When I, when I put this question on there, I'm like, well, it's not, it's not a yes or a no. It's a, it's a sort of. It's a sort of. Stick with me here. Just stick with me. It's, it's a sort of. 2 Corinthians 5, 13 and the first chunk of 14 say this, For if we are beside ourselves, this is Paul speaking, for if we are besides ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. I believe it's the NIV that they translate the beside ourselves, if we are out of our mind. If we are out of our mind, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls. Let me, talk about what, what I'm, let me show you what I'm talking about here. There, there's one person that I will lose myself for in this life. Perfect chance to see how it plays out. Um, any dancers here? Like, you love going to weddings because you just love getting down. Anyone think they're a dancer, but their friends say no? Oh, a few hands would go up on that one. We got some on the loft. There we go. Um, I am not a dancer. Um, I, I don't have rhythm. I can kind of bop and whatnot, but that, that's kind of all I got. And, and so if I'm going to a wedding, I'm, I'm not the guy who's going to be on the dance floor. I'm the guy, you know, sitting back at the table trying to strike up conversations so I have an excuse not to go dance. Um, if my wife, thankfully this doesn't happen often, but if my wife said, hey, here's a fun, fast song, I want you to dance with me. I will go and be crazy and lose my mind for my wife because of my love for her. I might try to say, hey, can we wait until a slow song? I can, I can pull that off. Um, but you know, she's the one person I'll lose my mind for. There are things in our life that we lose our minds for. Maybe you've, maybe you've been this person. Maybe you've been at someone's home for a party when you saw this person came in. Uh, but there's a football game on TV, and it's a, it's a critical game. Uh, and sometimes it, the game doesn't even matter. It can be preseason, but someone is so fired up, so passionate about their team, that when something happens that, that isn't good for them, they lose their mind. Or when something amazing happens, they lose their mind because of their love and desire for that team. They want to see that team win, and so... If they're going to lose, they're going to win. They go nuts. Obviously, it's a different connotation, but they lose their mind. So in one sense, if we think of loving Jesus in the same way we love our spouse, should we lose our minds for God? Sure, yeah. But does that mean this ultra-spiritual where, where we just kind of uh, we flail about? Well, put it this way. What would it look like for you to lose your, your mind for, your, for a loved one in your life? So if you're not married, think about someone you would lose, you just go crazy for. What does that look like for you? Would you respond to Jesus that way? That, that's what I'm calling us to. And so for some of us, you say, go back to the example of dancing, just kind of standing on the dance floor, swaying a little bit with your hands in your pocket is your version of losing your mind. Would you respond like that out of a response for Jesus? Whereas others, you know, you, you're, the, you're just out there, um, just you know, charismatic, and that's awesome, and going crazy, and all that stuff. If you do that for a song on the radio, dancing in your home, would you do that when God's just doing amazing things in your life? So I'm not calling us to, to this ultra-spirituality um, that, that's fake. I'm saying respond out of love for Jesus when we stop and realize what he's done for us. And allow ourselves to be lost in that. But then Paul also says, but, but for you, we'll stay in, in our, or for God, we'll, um, we're going to stay in our right mind for you. 
So God's called us to minister to you, so we're going to stay in our right mind for that sense so we can actually have conversations. But for God, we're going to lose our mind and just praise him and love him. Maybe another question you could ask when we say this, uh, being a new creation in Jesus, is do I forfeit the natural for all things supernatural? Let me give you an example I'm talking about with this. Think about things like science and medicine. Well, if I'm a follower of Jesus, does that mean that no longer can I say, okay, medicine is what healed me, it was God? No, we don't need to throw our minds out to be followers of Jesus. Actually, just the opposite. As we explore the created world that God has put together, we see him in it and we see the beauty of how he's orchestrated it and how he's put it together so when i tell the stories uh, in my life about uh, my, my wife's pituitary tumor and how she was healed or, or when my daughter was sick with something called kawasaki's was god the one who ultimately healed them yeah because he's the one that keeps this world moving what means did he use well, he worked through the doctors. He, he had us be in a place where we'd have access to those doctors and those medicines that the, the right people could find out what was wrong with my daughter or with my wife and bring about healing. And so do I believe that, that science was involved? Yeah, because I believe it was set up and created by God. Do I believe God was involved? Yeah, I do. And so as we are become this new creation, we don't need to uh, uh, just go to this supernatural mindset, but it's an inclusion. If anything, our eyes are just open to more. So if the evidence of, of being a new creation isn't this ultra-spirituality, what is it? Well, I would argue it's a fundamental and moral transformation. It's a fundamental change. Coming back to change. Being a new creation is about change. There's two parts. We see this, if we go back to uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it talks about how the old has passed away and the new has come. I've been working on a lawn tractor that I have. It's got a bad part. I'll save you all the technical lingo, uh, but it's got this little circle disc. It's a pulley that a belt pulls on, and, and the splines on it are, are stripped. And so I have the new one. What's the first thing I need to do to get this new one on? Take the old one off and then put the new one on. What if I just put the new one on top? It's, it's not going to fit. It's not going to work. I have to remove the old and then put the new one on. I don't know if you're familiar, with, if you know about this, but gas can actually go bad. And so if you leave you know, gas in your lawnmower over the winter uh, and you haven't treated it the right way, it, it can actually, I don't mean like kicking it or calling it bad names, I just mean like treating the gas. Um, it, it can go bad on you. And it can actually wear out your seals and all that. Um, you don't just add more good gas to fix the problem. You have to remove the bad gas before you add the new, otherwise the bad will corrupt the new. So the first step of being a new creation is to remove the old ways of life, the old ways of doing things, but then to put on the new. It's an exchange that takes place. If we, we talk about the gospel, Jesus as a substitution for our sins, that's only part of the story. Yes, Jesus takes our sin upon himself. The old has passed away. It's now on Jesus and he pays that price. But we receive his righteousness. The new has come. 2 Corinthians 5:21 For our sake he made sin who knew no sin or he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What Paul's saying is is that God made Jesus who was free from sin to be a sin offering. If we go back to the Hebrew there that word that translates as sin uh, another uh, word that we, we could translate that as a sin offering. He became a sin offering paid the price for our sins so that we might become the righteousness of God. So as a new creation, two things I want to hit on as we close. First one is this. As a new creation, we're to be reconciled to God. 
So if we're going to live to change life and be a new creation, step one, be reconciled to God. And I want you to look at be reconciled in verse 18 and verse 20. You'll see it's a passive verb. If I say be well, okay, just, I mean, it's a passive verb. Be reconciled, it's a passive verb. It's not our job to accomplish the work of reconciliation. I want you to hear that again. It's not our job to accomplish the work of reconciliation. It's not our job to accomplish the work of making things right between us and God. Because we can't. Because we fail. Because we sin. Because we go against the word of God. It's our job to receive it. So it says be reconciled. God's already done the work through Jesus on the cross. Our job is to receive that. You see the difference in there? So step one, receive that. I want want that to sink in. I want you to think on that. There's so many of us that are wildly trying to reconcile ourselves with God. We're asking questions like this. What do I need to do, God, to be right with you? Am I good enough? Have I done enough yet? Have I worked hard enough? Have I given enough of my time and my resources and my energy? Is my worship acceptable to you? Am I worshiping you the right way? Am I trying hard enough, God? And if we we step into old patterns or old ways, we we beat ourselves up and we say, no, I'm I'm a mess. But see, we're unable to reconcile ourselves to God. And he knows that. That's why he sent Jesus to do the work for us, to provide a way that we simply need to receive. Uh, Imagine our sin is like a credit card. And every time we sin against God, it builds up debt on that credit card. Well, if we were back in the days uh, uh, when Jesus walked the earth, um, that the Jews, what they would have done is, okay, we offer a sacrifice. And the bloodshed of that sacrifice pays the price for my sins. But it never balanced out to zero because they would continue to sin. They continued to have to have a sacrifice. And, and so those sacrifices were never sufficient to wipe the debt clean. There's always debt on the card. But what Jesus does is he comes up and he says, hey, let me see that. Bust that credit card out. Okay, Jesus, you're probably the one person I would willingly hand my credit card to. And, and you, you give it to him. And he says, hey, here's mine. It works a little differently. Then he goes to the cross and he pays the price in full for all sin that will ever be on your credit card. And then you have his. And every time you sin, it doesn't stick because he's paid the price. Look at the end of, of 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 21, I think it was. It says, you are the righteousness of God. It is that you become, it goes as far to say you are the righteousness of God. The, the physical embodiment of being right with God by receiving what, the work of Jesus. That is how we're reconciled. So be reconciled to God. Remove the old ways of life. Place those at the foot of the cross. Put on the new self, one that is controlled by our love of Christ. Stop trying harder and simply start living in the reality of being that new creation. See, I'm not a personal fan of this phrase that that God is a God of second chances. I understand what people are trying to say when they they use that as advice or something. And I'm not saying it's wrong. What I don't like about it is what if you're on your second chance and you blow it? What what, what comes to mind? Oh, man, now how hard do I have to try? Now what do I have to do to to have God like you? you know what, before we even talk about God's love, I just want God to like me. He's not that he's a God of second chances. He's a God of redemption, of renewal, and of reconciliation. The price has been paid for our sins, past, 
present, and future when we trust in Him. And the card He gives us in place, nothing sticks to it. We are new creations. Forget our past ways and be renewed by Jesus because in Jesus you are the righteousness of God. So be reconciled to God. The only way to do that is by receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. The other thing we need to do as new creations is a new creation is someone, a people who live for Christ by living for others. Who live for Christ by living for others. Put it this way, a new creation, as new creations, we're to be reconcilers of the world. We reconciles reconcilers of the world remember the first point we're to be reconciled to god we cannot do the work of reconciliation right so we talk about being reconciles of the world do you think it's our job to do the work of reconciliation no we can't reconcile ourselves with god how are we supposed to reconcile someone else with god so what do we do we're ambassadors we're ambassadors of christ think about where the power comes from for an ambassador the ambassador has no power apart from their king, their leader, their ruler. It's the ruler, the one who sends them, that gives them the authority, the power, the significance that they have. And so when we're, we're said to have the ministry of reconciliation, to, be, uh, to go and reconcilers of the world, saying we're to be ambassadors, those who proclaim Jesus, those who, who, who will say Jesus is the one that will bring about forgiveness. But we can't do that work of changing lives ourselves. We can't accomplish that work of reconciliation. It's simply our job to proclaim the one who can. I love the fact that in 2 Corinthians 5.20, where Paul unpacks this, this, that we're ambassadors of Christ, he says, here's what we're supposed to be, and then he he exemplifies it. Look at this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And us, he's talking about those who have trusted in Jesus for for the the forgiveness of their sin. As a a citizen of heaven, as a follower of Jesus, we're to be ambassadors of Christ. Then he says this, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He jumps right into it. He says, here's who we are. Hey, let me be that. Hey, did you know about Jesus? Reconcile yourself to God in Jesus. And he starts sharing that. He calls those who are reading his letter, be reconciled to God. So I even say that here this morning. If you are here and you stand apart from God because you've not trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, let today be the day that you are reconciled with God. Where you, you, you trust in Him for the forgiveness of your sin. You say, Steve, how do I do that? It's a simple prayer. I say, it's not even so much the power of the prayer, but it's, it's, it's that communication with God to say, God, I acknowledge that Jesus is God and that his death on the cross paid the price for my sin. And I trust that when I receive that, I am reconciled with you. And that it doesn't end there, but you call me to put off the old and then become a new creation, one who will live in a way that points people to you. 1 John 3.16 says this, By this we know love, that he, referring to Jesus, He laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So church, what can or will we do today? What can or will we do this week to lay down our lives for another for the purpose that they may see Jesus? As ambassadors, let us go and make Jesus known in this community. Let us be different for Christ. Be different than who you were before be different than the world around you. Let's encourage one another to live lives of difference. 
lives of change where we've taken off the old, we don't pick it back up, we receive the reconciliation of God, and then we go out as ambassadors and be reconcilers of the world. The next two weeks as we bring this series to a close, we'll talk about some specific ways that um, what it looks like to live in the midst of this world. But I just really want to get to this point this week where we acknowledge that when we trust in Jesus, there's change that he wants to do in our life. And fortunately, it's change that he brings about as we love him and pursue him and lose our minds for him. Let us pray. Father God, you are an amazing God. We love you. We thank you so much for this morning we have to gather together. We thank you for your word that we have to learn from. I pray that we'd be reconciled to you, Father God. Even if there's someone here this morning who uh, they've never taken that step, if they want to take that step here now this morning, that they would do just that, whether it's while I'm praying right now or uh, while we sing one more praise song or at some point afterwards, even while we're out celebrating, you know, just getting to know each other through fellowship, eating some corn, um, do a work in their life, Father God. Let this be the day where they say, Jesus, you are Lord and Savior, and I trust in you. Let this be the day where, where they receive you, Father God, and are reconciled to you where they're made the righteousness of you. And then lead them, Father God, in their days ahead as you bring about life change for the purpose of reconciling others to yourself. If that's you today, if, if you want to take that step, I pray you would tell someone about it. If you're still not sure what that looks like, come see me afterwards and we'll walk through that road together. But let this be the day where you say, Jesus, you are Lord and Savior. You are God. Receive that truth and be forever changed. And church, for all of us, pray we're comfort comforted by the truth of who we are in Christ. That's not about how hard we try or the work we do, but the truth that we're reconciled in you. And then send us out into this broken world to share our own stories of brokenness and how you worked in and through us. Let us share stories of the peace we experienced because of the change you made in our life. And let us share that with this world that they would hear and see from you, Father God, that they too would be reconciled. Thank you, Father, that you have us living in this familiar land as foreigners who are heaven-bound. We pray this all in your name. Amen.